Hello, you're listening to Hear This Idea, a podcast showcasing new thinking in philosophy, the social sciences, and effective altruism. In this episode, we talked to Habiba Islam, who is a member of the 80,000 Hours Career Advising Team. Before that, she worked as the Senior Administrator for the Future of Humanity Institute and the Global Priorities Institute at Oxford. And before that, she qualified as a barrister and worked in management consulting. If you've been meaning to get more serious about planning out a high-impact career or switching into one, then the first half of this conversation is for you. Habiba basically guided us through some key questions to ask yourself when you're beginning to plan the next stage of your career. I just gave a bunch of really useful advice. Then we talk a bit about Habiba's job as a career advisor and how 80,000 hours are helping people start off on careers aimed at having a really big positive impact, um, such as by giving free one-on-one career coaching calls. One thing to highlight here is that the 80,000 Hours Career Advising Team wants to speak to more people than ever before. So if you're at a stage where you think that you could benefit from, maybe just say it again, free one-on-one career advice, then you can go to 80,000hours.org forward slash H-T-I. That's 80,000 hours, the number. And you can sign up for a call there. And that link is also in the show notes, by the way. Oh, and 80K are also looking to actually hire a new career advisor. So you should totally apply to that if you think that you might be a good fit. And there is a link in the description for that also. In the second bit of the conversation, we talked about what motivates Habiba in her own work and in general, just about different kinds of motivations for working on long-termist cause areas, especially things which appeal to our sense of justice and fairness, as well as just bringing about the best consequences. And near the end, we ask Habiba about the case for aiming high and why, if you want to do as much good as you can, then it can make sense to try being way more ambitious than you might have thought. And I think that's really worth hearing. Okay, without further ado, here's the episode. Habiba, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Cool. So, a lot to talk about, but I thought we'd begin just by talking about what it's like to get career advising, because you are a career advisor at Mm -hmm. 80,000 hours. Um, So maybe your first question is, if you could just imagine someone listening to this, maybe decides... um, maybe pretty soon to like sit down and really think seriously about their career plans for a high impact career for the first time. What in general does beginning that process of career planning uh, look like? Yeah, so it might be slightly different from the kinds of things that you often hear as kind of careers advice. Um, If you're thinking about this from the perspective of wanting to plan a career that's going to have a lot of impact, um, that sort of throws up a few other considerations. So I guess I'd suggest that people um, start off from from this big picture view of like working out what it is that they want out of their career. And everyone has like various different... um, personal priorities as well as kind of priorities that are impact wise um but getting clear on what those are um and then digging into this question of like what impact actually means for you so that you have a sense of what it is that you're trying to trying to get towards um so that's those kind of like abstract like slightly more big picture things are like really helpful to set the scene and then uh when you're thinking specifically about career planning it seems useful to sort of think a little bit backwards from uh, where you might be wanting to head, um, what those kind of longer term uh, potential paths for you might be. Um, not in really concrete detail at this stage. Um, you probably won't be able to predict with like a lot of accuracy exactly what your job is going to look like in you know 40 years time or something. But getting like a sense of where you might be heading 
And then um, trying to work out what some of your uncertainties might be about how to get from here to there uh, and how you might make progress on those. Um, so you mentioned having a, a positive impact there. When we sit down and start thinking about how to have a positive impact with our career, like how should we reflect what exactly we mean by, by positive impact? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree that it seems like both an important question and a hard question. <laughs> um, uh, and I think um, what this translates to in the real world and for your career is going to be like a bit to do with what you think about various ethical considerations or like your moral view, and also a bit to do with, you know, empirical stuff about the state of the world um, and what kind of situation you actually find yourself in. Um, and both those things can be a bit complicated to get a handle on. Uh, but it seems worthwhile at least spending some time um, just trying to put some words to what your feelings are here, at least as just a starting point. Um, and I think I have found this uh, surprisingly valuable as an exercise to do uh, in the past myself as well, um, because I sort of maybe went through life sort of vaguely having a sense of what I thought I meant um, by this, even having like studied moral philosophy and like been aware of effective altruism, but actually trying to write down what I thought was quite clarifying in that um, you might just like, uh, be able to put words to some things that you do have some level of clarity on and then just naming some of the things that you're uncertain about as well. Yeah, I guess one question I have here is I can really imagine hearing that and thinking, well, I definitely know I care about particular things, right? Like I really care about climate and um, I really care about ending factory farming or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can list out those things. Mm -hmm. But I find it really difficult to figure out what they have in common, if anything. Um, how might I go about figuring out if there is some kind of underlying or more fundamental like ethical view that's that's kind of connecting those things? Yeah, that is really tricky. I think it's very tempting to to yeah be able to point to things in the world that are concrete examples of like that seems good and that seems bad. And also specifically when you're when people are coming at this from like a career planning perspective, um, it's often very easy for people to be already filtering with a sense of like what are things that I feel like I have any chance of affecting with my career at all. And I think it is somewhat helpful to try and do a little bit of abstraction, at least try and put yourself in the headspace of trying to work out what it is that sort of might fundamentally um, matter. Um, I guess one helpful thing is that you don't have to do this completely by yourself. Um, there's hopefully some, you know, there's other people who've thought about this as well. Um, maybe there are groups or communities who have um, uh, ideas that would resonate with you. So you can, you know, for example, look at the 8,000 Hours website. We have a, um, an article on what we mean by social impact, impartially construed. And um, that might give you some like prompts for your thinking. Um, and you can see which bits of that you agree with and bi which bits you disagree with. And if you're part of the sort of wider effect of altruism community, there's like a ton of resources out there uh, as well in like some, you know, intro fellowships and things like that that talk about this. Um, so I guess that's one thing is um, you could like read some other things and like reflect on those um, and like chat to other people. Um, but what is it that you're actually doing here? I mean, you can kind of reflect in some ways, the only way you're going to get like some answer to your sort of um, moral intuitions is like is a bit of like reflecting through um, your yeah like your own intuitions, kind of maybe some thought experiments to try and get a sense of what it is that you um, that that's kind of underlying your um, your views here. Um, yeah, does that seem like that would be? Does that seem like that gets to the the thing that you're asking, then? Yeah, no, totally. I think so. I think just speaking personally, there's some pattern where. You know, I can start off by naming things, particular things that seem really good, right? And things that seem really bad. And then when I reflect on the reasons that I can kind of maybe figure out some kind of abstract thing that's going on, which explains why I think they're good and bad. But then you get this thing that once you have the more abstract thing in mind, 
you can use that as a starting point to figure out new things which you kind of didn't previously consider that that you might um, actually consider working on, right? So I just want to say in general, it seems like a really useful process to kind of go step back and and then kind of step forwards again, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, and I think I mostly was talking a bit about this kind of the moral element of it as well, which yeah. is something that you can get a grasp on possibly just like by sitting down and having a think. Um, uh, although it's helpful to sort of like read things that other people have written as like prompts. But then there's this whole other empirical bit as well around what positive impact in the world today might mean to you, which I think you can't really work out from uh, just like thinking by yourself. You really do yeah. have to like uh, look at the world around you and sort of um, see, see, you know, do you really believe that there are actually like different interventions that some of them could be, you know, a hundred times more effective than others? And does that make a difference to uh, which kind of areas you think it's more um, more valuable for people to throw their efforts behind things like that I think um, and yeah I think uh, in general one of the things I really like about uh, the effective altruism community specifically and other kind of intellectual communities have this too is that um, we can make progress on these kinds of questions together and you really don't mm. have to work out them mm. by themselves and there's like yeah. hopefully um, other like guided resources that could take you through some of this and you know you can see what pe other people think. Yeah, although they're like one point that I really liked um, you having made at the beginning as well is I guess it's like emphasis on like, you know, setting explicit time uh, out for doing this and like kind of doing this yourself and like actually writing down these answers yourself or like speaking to somebody else about this and, and really thinking about it rather than uh, necessarily, right, just like kind of referring or like identifying uh, with a certain like label and then like just you know, assuming that that is like kind of done here. So thinking there's like definitely a, d a big difference maybe between like um, saying that like I am an environmentalist and therefore I want to work on climate versus, um, well, why do I care about um, climate? And then working out like the fundamental reasons why. And then like either just like um, being able to reflect on this and then understand like what is like truly motivating you behind that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and possibly doing that like throughout like different causes and stuff just seems like for me like really useful on just like reflecting and not really understanding what you're implicitly doing um, until you like write it out or talk to somebody about it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I think people can come to, for example, the climate example with um, lots of different motivations. I mean, maybe you might come to it from a sense of like of thinking that the environment has value itself. And it's actually like very like, you know, maybe maybe like the environment has rights or maybe the environment has like worth independent of um out of humans and it would be really bad for us to destroy it or maybe you're coming at this from a completely different perspective which is like actually fundamentally the thing that i care about is like humans or animal suffering and if we destroy the environment that's bad because uh, then it means like there's going to be real people who are um, having to live through like droughts and floods and um extreme weather events and that kind of thing uh, so there can be i think that's like people within the environmental movement who might have the very different takes on this kind of thing uh, and it seems helpful for you to like tease that out yourself yeah one like last question I have on this point is like um, I guess just maybe um, thinking about this either through through cases that that um, you've seen or, or like even um, like like for yourself like how much clarity do you expect people are able to like make on this I guess especially when people are doing this like for the first time and stuff especially when we're thinking about like really deep like moral foundational questions and stuff like these are definitely ones that I'm like constantly like iteratively mm -hmm. like still updating on or like still super uncertain on um, and you know yeah at some point you kind of have to make career decisions and like start on like what seems like a good kind of first output here or what feels like a like a good first step to to be able to think about this in, in terms of your career? Yeah, I mean, you and me both, Luca, I still feel like I am learning and developing my, my <laughs> views on on, uh, on ethical considerations. Um, I think that you want to, it, it's helpful to get some sort of uh, bounded sense of uh, what the space is here. And if you can get a sense of um, uh, 
at least certain things that you're like relatively confident are sort of part of are like things that might might matter um and maybe there are some other things that you're like less certain about but at least you you sort of like you have like already kind of started to uh stratify the space here a bit um and uh yeah i think like identifying things that you want to like carry on uh, thinking about or learning about or diving into a bit more just seems great but at least like knowing what those things are seems like a, a good starting point um so maybe the thing that would be like a good output is being able to write um like a little paragraph uh, a few sentences of certain things that you sort of like you know like your your best guess right now um and maybe then a bullet points of the things that you're most uncertain about yeah maybe this will come up later as well but i feel like i want to say this is one example of the unreasonable effectiveness of just setting a timer to go and think about something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I guess often it might feel like, well, everything I kind of can know about these, you know, deep seeming questions about what's what's best overall, I probably just already do know because it's obvious. And then everything else is just mysterious and I'll never know. <laughs> but when you set a half an hour timer and really sit down to think about things and to learn what you, um, you know, try resolving uncertainties, and I think you can get quite a, quite a long way. At least I feel like I could when I, I tried doing that. So... At the start, you mentioned the next chunk of work when you're sitting down to plan out a high-impact career for the first time. It's something like thinking now about what problems in the world um, actually look most pressing, given what you've kind of uh, what matters in the abstract. So maybe a question is: Where can you begin to to look to start thinking about that question, and and what kinds of considerations are important to to bear in mind here as well? So for the getting started on this uh, question of trying to come up with a list of the most pressing problems, again, I think um, like turning to other other groups, other people's who opinions you respect or um, other like intellectual communities to get like a short list or somewhere to get started seems pretty good. Um, so for example, in 8,000 hours, to give a bit of a, a little plug, like we have a, we have a page of um, uh, problem profiles where we have set out which kind of problems we think might be the most um, important. I think this isn't the only list that you could start with. You could uh, look at the UN sustainable development goals or um, like what progress studies economists think or um, just other kinds of intellectual communities that you think are um, that sort of seem to be seem to be like pointing at uh, trying to do something that seems good for the world Um, uh, or just the wider effective altruism community and the different kinds of problem areas that people uh, focus on there Um, and I think that gives you like a starting point Um, I think that something that seems Something that seems kind of true to me is that this this kind of uh, there is quite a difference between which um, uh, problems seem more pressing compared to others, uh, particularly considering just like how high stakes some things might be, um, uh, given the given this kind of the scale of of what's going on um, in the world right now. Uh, And so that might be something that differentiates problems quite significantly from other ones. When you actually get to the fine-grained level of, well, what is it actually that I'm going to do with my job? What's the organization that I'm going to work with? What's the kind of like angle that we have on this problem? Um, there's still going to be a bunch of different variation between different things like that, even within the same problem. I mean, just think mm-hmm. about climate change again for an exa- as an example. There are just like tons of different people trying to work on this in like many different ways. Um, so it's definitely going to be a bit of a first step kind of broad brush approach to try and look at problems as a whole, to try and right. get a sense of which ones are like seem more important than others but I think even at this level even if you think that there's like within problem variation it still seems worthwhile to be able to kind of like separate out different clusters of problems um so you might think that um you want to look you want to be looking for like global problems rather than like local ones because those are going to be bigger in scale you might be wanting to look for things that have um the stakes are sufficiently high that we're dealing with like um like large groups of people or large groups of animals maybe even you know looking towards things like like factory farming or 
or um, even like future generations as being kind of like large groups that uh, are being affected. Um, and like you might want to think about things like the relative neglectedness. Um, and, and this could be like, and, you know, how many people are working on this problem might be another way of like separating these clusters out uh, to at least giving you like a, a first indication of where you want to focus your efforts. Bearing, even bearing in mind that within the problem, there'll be like some ways of attacking the problem that are much better than others. Yeah, so I guess like a lot of this conversation has so far focused on this like, you know, somewhat like intellectual exercise of like working out how uh, impactful or important certain like cause areas are kind of in this like uh, abstract uh, sense. But then there's also this like really just like real world personal component of like you are then going to have to work on this cause or like doing this function or, or doing this job. And, um, you know, ATK, you know, uh, it's in the name, you will kind of be allocating like 80,000 hours of your time there. Um, and hopefully you want that to also be time that is like really fulfilling or just like really enjoyable and, and stuff there. And we talked to I think Ben Todd previously around this like idea of, of career fit. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering when you're kind of like planning your career, like, how should you think about this aspect, especially how should you maybe like think about trading this off with working on something that like seems more uh, impactful or important, but might not be, um, you know, the the thing that like immediately strikes you as, as the best fit or the, the most enjoyable like day to day. Yeah, like um, for somebody just starting off thinking about this, uh, what what should they be thinking of? Yeah, no, great question. I think um, it's just like, it's definitely the case, this kind of like finding a career that is a really good fit for you that you're going to find motivating for the long term is a really important part of the of the equation definitely um i think there is yeah to pick up on a couple of points around how to trade this off um so i think one of the reasons why um i want to focus so much uh, at least i'm setting the scene on thinking about problem areas that you might want to work on um are in part because to sort of level the playing field a bit. I think a lot of other careers advice out there basically only focuses on like find the thing that you love. And so it seems helpful to have a bit of a counterbalance and like try and focus on the impact side of the problem a bit more. Um, there's also, I think, a tendency for people to sort of, uh, to if they're thinking mostly about the personal fit, to mostly consider roles that they are uh, aware of that seem like similar to things that they've already had some experience of that sort of are maybe areas that they're a little bit more familiar with. And maybe putting yourself in this kind of more abstract headspace thinking about the global problems is really useful because there very plausibly could be ways of working on those problems that wouldn't come immediately to mind. Um, so for example, you could always earn to give and then you can be funding, um, you know, go to get a high paying job and earn extra money so that you can be donating it to work on one of these problems. And that can just, that can work on any problem. <laughs> so there's like possibly a way of like working on any different problem um, through that. Similarly through advocacy, um, and like various ways of doing like research or policy, maybe like uh, relevant to lots of different problems, or even something like um, if you have really good organizational skills, you or entrepreneurial skills, you can like run an organization or start something new, which just may be very applicable to lots of different problems. Um, so again, this is kind of part of why I think it's useful to do some of the like big picture problem thinking first, um, before you then switch into thinking about the personal fit. But I think once you've got done the big picture problem thinking, and then you've kind of had to think about these different problems, which one seems important? What are the bottlenecks in those areas? What are the kinds of career paths that could be useful for making progress on these problems? Then you get a sort of long list of potential careers. And at this point, I think this is where personal fit, this kind of how, which of these careers seem really fulfilling to me, really kicks in because that's going to be one of the one of the most decisive factors, I think, in picking between the in, in the long list. Um, because your career is going to be multiple decades long, like you said, 80,000 hours. <laughs> um, and you're going to do your best work when you are really excited to uh 
to to get up in the morning um at least most of the days um and like do your best work work harder enjoy working with your colleagues um yeah just find the work like um motivating and enjoyable and are really yeah, you know going to be doing like going to be doing your peak best work you know many decades uh in the future yeah, there's maybe like a more basic question here, which I think you were like touching on at the end here, which is like when we use the word like personal fit or um, like uh, career fit and, and the like, like what exactly do we like even mean by that? Uh, we're definitely, you know, when thinking back when uh, I was like 18, it was really hard to know, like, you know, without having tried it or without like having been there of like, would I enjoy being an investment banker and trying to earn a lot of money? Would I enjoy being an academic? Like what, what does like fit or something like even mean? Or like, what am I even good at? Um, are there maybe like any like signs or indications that um, you would like recommend people look on, uh, look out for, especially when they're like kind of just trying things out uh, at the beginning and uh, yeah, like I guess trying to evaluate like how, how good fits they are for certain positions. Yeah, I am extremely sympathetic to the fact that it's really hard to tell very early on, at least for lots of people. Um, I think there are maybe there are some people in this category who um, feel that something's just like really click for them and they have like a particular, they've like, they did um, maths, pure maths research at university. That's the best thing. Everything else is terrible. Um, but I think for probably most people, it is really hard to get a very strong sense of um being able to predict what it is that what is it that you're going to be really good at in like 20 years time um when you haven't had that much experience of many things outside of academia usually at this early stage um i think that yeah it's also even even once you start getting experience in you know internships or in your first job even um i think it's very easy to maybe misattribute how enjoyable you found that time to something around how good i am at that specific task when it could just be to do with the other things that are going on in your like life in general it could be about that specific role it could be about the pandemic in this time <laughs> uh, and so it's very it's very easily confounded by a lot of other variables um so just to restate that was all just to restate why i think it's a hard hard task um to actually try and answer your question about therefore how could you try and um get started tackling this problem i think you should in the early stages of your career you should really be putting yourself in this exploring mindset um and give yourself permission to try out different things and actually try them out um quite wholeheartedly to see if they're going to be a good fit before you draw too strong conclusions but you can be doing this by um uh, building up the amount of effort that you're putting into a particular um, area. So you start off, if you think something's kind of plausible, maybe start off by reading a bit about it, then talking to a bunch of people, then trying something out that takes a couple of weeks, and then uh, maybe trying something out that takes like a few months, like an internship, and then trying for a job. Um, and so at each stage, you're putting in a little bit more effort um, and getting a bit more information about whether this works for you. Um, to go back even one step before that, to work out which of these things you should even try, um, you can get some information from basically from um, your like your work history or your um, studying history so far. You can sort of do something like an energy audit to look back over the last kind of month and, and work out which of the things that you did that you found really energizing or you feel like you really got into a flow state or something like that. Um, or you could uh, get, try and gather a bunch of feedback from other people who know you well um, and try and work out what some of your particular strengths are um, and you know, see if you can like use that as an input into this, this, this kind of um, calculation around what might you be really good at in the future? Um, we have like some more guidance on this on our website in terms of like articles on personal fit and also on like finding your strengths. Um, but I think fundamentally this thing around, uh, yeah, the, the overarching structure might be something like try and work out, try and get some like decently good guesses and then do this thing of, of um, 
testing them out with increasingly more effort to get more of uh, more information on each of them. Yeah, cool. I feel like I maybe want to add, just speaking personally, that the little bit of advice you mentioned about figuring out when you notice that you fall most easily into a kind of flow state, that was really useful for me to think about. So I guess flow state meaning those stretches of time when you're working and the time just like flies by really quickly and you just get so easily absorbed and you're not very easily distracted. So yeah, here's a question I was meaning to ask. So it seems to me that often you can end up um, trying to decide between maybe two options where one option looks like jumping in to work directly on a problem that you really care about. And another option looks like working on a kind of adjacent problem or something that's not totally related at all in order to gain um, experience and skills and connections, um, which you can then spend later on on the thing you think is most important. So this is called transferable career capital. I guess I want to ask, how should people begin to think about um, weighing up those two kind of broad strategies when they're thinking about how to have the most impact through their career? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really good question. I think you might think that my own career was like went hard on the transferable <laughs> career capital early on in that I did like management consulting and got like very general skills. Um, yeah. But I think possibly people can do better than I did. <laughs> so if I were to sketch out um, this kind of what should you be thinking in terms of career strategy, it seems relatively helpful to to think about having three different career priorities. So early on in your career, particularly, you might be wanting to focus on exploring different things. Um, then you might want to move on to really investing in yourself, building up skills, uh, building, and so you become really good at a particular thing. Um, and then you want to maybe switch into deploying those skills, actually like cashing it all in and doing a bunch of good. Um, I've described those like they're sequential, but to be fair, at every stage in your career, you probably want to have like a bit of each of these and they might be just like in relatively different proportions. Um, so you might be like likely early on in your career weighted more towards exploration and then towards like investing in skills and then likely later on switching into um, in deploying those and uh, going for things that are directly impactful. Um, so that said, I think for, so, so for most people, it seems pretty useful to have in mind something that they might be wanting to do longer term and be really focusing early on on building up that career capital. Um, and you might not want to build up just very broadly transferable career capital that could be useful for ev anything, which is kind of maybe what I did with consulting. You might want to be a bit more specific and you might want to build up um, quite targeted career capital. Um, so specifically in the area of like economics of AI or specifically in the area of like building um, nonprofits that are long-termist focused or something. Um, but uh, uh, so that's the, the general advice is, is Probably like probably as a whole, you should be thinking about exploring and then developing career capital. But that said, even early on in your career, you should definitely be keeping an eye out for uh, outstanding kind of opportunities to be able to be doing a ton of good, even just that at this early stage in your career. Um, and it is just the case that there are a bunch of these kinds of opportunities that do um, crop up. Um, so like maybe many of your listeners may be in the position where they're able to get uh, like a, a junior entry level role at like a really impactful nonprofit or an AI safety company or something. Um, and they're able to like be the best person for that role and fill that niche and start getting a bunch of experience as well as being able to do a bunch of good early on. Um, so if you can get something that ticks both boxes, <laughs> the career capital and also the direct impact, that seems great. So don't like rule those options out, um, but don't necessarily... Uh, put too much pressure on yourself to be definitely looking for those early on. 
Yeah, I guess I wanted to like follow up on that aspect here as well, right? Because when you're, I guess, broadly talking about building up career capital, it's really about forcing you to take this like long-term perspective on your career. And likewise, if you're kind of aiming for like a senior, very specific uh, position, and that is like your goal now, um, then that is also having to take like a long-term perspective to your career. And there seem to be like kind of two challenges to this. One is that you might just be super uncertain about like what it is you want or like what you think is most important. And it might turn out that like in 10 years, um, you know, your views are different or the world has changed and what have you. And uh, actually, you know, things uh, might no longer be the case uh, that this was like the the right approach kind of uh, post hoc. And then there's this like second aspect as well, which uh, I feel like I could definitely relate and like like resonated when you were talking about like uh, management consultant and taking these routes to like build up career capital. That one of the things that I was like really concerned or worried about is that like my own preferences for what I think is the most impactful or the most important and like doing good in the world might change depending on the environment that you're in. And yeah, I'm just wondering if there are like any, is there any advice or, or, or guidance you would give people when they are like having to take this long-term perspective and having to like grapple with these uh, these these aspects of it? Yeah, I think it is really tricky and it's definitely extremely tempting if you're if you're operating under uncertainty to try and hedge as much as possible and to try and keep your options open for as long as you can. And in some ways, just be kicking the can down the road for when you actually have to decide and then go, go all in on a particular area. Um, I think a couple of things that are worth bearing in mind that might push against that instinct are that it's just very possible that uh, being a specialist in a particular area is really valuable. Um, and to become a specialist in a particular area, you maybe just you're gonna get a lot of gains by starting earlier. So if there's a chance that um, you know, if we need people um, to be uh, professors in um, bio policy and have a lot of like expertise um, in that area and and uh, credentials and respect and connections, uh, they need to be starting on that path like pretty early. We can't all we can't all be kicking the can down the road. Um, and so specifically, this kind of um, this. This pushes even harder when you're thinking about um, coordinating with the community of other people. So instead of trying, if, if instead of thinking so much from the perspective of like, what should I be doing with just my particular career? If you are able to sort of take a portfolio kind of view and consider yourself as part of like a group of other people who are all trying to do um, good together, it maybe seems a bit more reasonable. You can maybe relax a bit about, you know, let's all specialize in slightly different things um, and trust that, um, that, you know, even if my particular thing isn't like quite perfect or something, um, as a community, we're, we're investing in the right kind of mix of different um, different areas. Uh, and so as a, as a group, we're going to do better. Um, certainly better if people are sort of specializing in their niches rather than everyone trying to be a bit of a generalist. Um, and so a couple of those things maybe push against this sort of natural tendency to try and like keep your options open. Um, so it is, it's still hard though. I think it may feel like you have to make some calls quite early on about which direction to go in. Um, I guess this means that it's particularly useful if you can try and front load some of the investigation to get uh, to sort of narrow down your uncertainties as much as possible. So perhaps during university uh, or in the first few years. Um, yeah, trying to like uh, focus in on what would be the biggest thing that would change your mind and which direction to go in. But I think in, in some ways, I think I've just like, uh, I think it would be really great um, if people felt um, valued and empowered to do the thing that um, ex ante seems like a very reasonable thing for a bunch of people in the community to do, uh, even if ex post, uh, I don't know, different things come to light or something that change people's minds. What One impression I kind of want to run by you is that um, 
like the more I've seen just like professionals or people like more senior on in their career, um, it's like really surprising to see just like how much people have been able to switch, like even, uh, you know, in their like, um, you know, late 20s, mid 30s, like what what kind of have you, and like pretty drastic career decisions, which was definitely very different to like what my impression of a career was, again, when I was like 18 or at university, where it kind of felt like you choose your subject and then that is like already like really narrowed mm-hmm. it down and then you choose your first job and that has really narrowed it down. And these decisions do seem like really, really important. I definitely don't want to like diminish that. But like, um, I think the point is here somewhere that like having decided to like specialize or like go down a route, as long as you do like really cool, awesome work down that route, like doesn't narrow things down as much as you expect. Like people are able to like value achievements and work and uh, you can make like really drastic changes in your career like later on. I've, we've definitely had like guests on in the past as well who've, who've I think like really exemplified that. Yeah, it does take the pressure off the decision if you, uh, any specific individual career decision, if you uh, realize that this isn't one or nothing, <laughs> this isn't like irrevocable, yeah. this is like an incremental uh, change in the direction that you're going in. Cool. So we've just talked about from a super kind of bird's eye view, what it looks like to really start thinking about planning out a kind of high impact career for the first time. Um, now, it turns out that 80,000 hours are all about this, right? You have a bunch of resources on the website, uh, which help people think this through, go into a lot more detail about the things you've just mentioned. But also, 80,000 hours offers one-on-one career coaching. That's what you do, um, for free, by the way. So yeah, what does what does that involve? What does that look like? Yeah, so people can apply on our website and then um, if it seems like we're well-placed to help you, then we'll offer a video call, which is, like you said, completely free and just talk through some of the thoughts that you've got on career planning at this, at, um, at this stage. Uh, so we can talk through things like the problems that you're thinking of working on, the different options that you're considering um, and the next steps that you're thinking about right now and see if we can, yeah, see if we can help. Cool. And do you have like a, I guess like a, a profile or like the, who are the, the types of people who should be like, um, like reaching out? Like who are you most excited to, to get to speak to? Mm-hmm. So we talk to people at all different stages of their careers from undergraduates to people who are uh, later on in their career and already have um, experience, are already experienced professionals. We talk to people who uh, have um, yeah, at a different ranges of thinking about their careers from being like very early on uh, and not really having like a good idea about exactly which thing is the right good right fit for them, uh, even to talking to people who are already on a particular path and uh, want to see if they can uh, do that even better or have an even more of an impact on that path. Specifically, I think we're most excited to talk to people who are engaging really seriously with this idea of doing the most good with their career and are like engaging with the kind of like analytical approach that 80,000 hours takes um, and particularly have some familiarity and interest in the kinds of problems that 80,000 hours talks about on the website. Um, What do you think people really get out of one-on-one calls? Where are they like really most, most valuable? Yeah, it's actually um, just like a wider range of things than people might naturally uh, expect from careers advising. It's like it's not very much focused on um, like specific advice often. It's actually just like covers a ton of different things. So it can be talking through course prioritization and like some moral philosophy with someone who who shares your values and can kind of point you in the direction of um, of other resources or talk through some confusions. Um, it can also be like specifically talking about your different the different career options that you're considering, um, giving you a sense of what those look like um, and acting as a bit of a guide to the different areas, talking about what the routes in might be and helping you weigh up which one thing, which ones seem most valuable. Um, maybe even putting more things on the table that uh, people hadn't even considered so far yet. Um, 
And there's also a big part that seems valuable about making further onwards connections, being able to introduce people to experts in the areas that they're interested in or hiring managers. Um, and often those connections are the thing that are that really last for uh, a long time after the call. Um, we've had great examples of people, you know, finding their collaborators and then going on to work in, in the um, particular project with them. And then there's a bit around, yeah, just specifically helping people work out some specific next steps, turning something into like an actionable plan that they're actually going to be able to do, putting in the direction of like specific jobs or funding opportunities or resources or events to go to um and this like overarching thing maybe around um it's just kind of nice to talk to someone who shares your values and is thinking about things similarly to you and maybe like can provide a bunch of encouragement especially if other people in your immediate circle like family and friends aren't so familiar with um this way of thinking about careers and maybe uh, i think it's like a bit more unusual to be thinking about something like ai safety or um or like caring about future generations or something like that and so it just can be like a really helpful um in, uh yeah, just like a helpful person to talk to uh, for a bit of general like validation and encouragement. Totally. Yeah, fab. And maybe to go down like uh, memory lane a bit, I've got a document open on, on my laptop, which was from uh, the 16th of July, 2020, uh, which is, I think, when we had our first call, uh, mm -hmm. Biba, for, for my career advisor session. And I remember we would talk through like loads of different career perspectives. Like kind of going back now, it's like crazy what I was considering. is <laughs> like everywhere from uh, like going into like earning to give to running uh, for political office to like doing academic research and like what have you not. But I remember one of like the really awesome some uh, like benefits I got out of those conversations was I think you just followed up with like introducing me to people doing these jobs and I had like this wonderful month where almost like every week I had a call to look forward to with like somebody just willing to spend an hour of their time with me um, just walking me through my questions like giving me like a very first introduction into like all of these different fields and stuff and yeah I found that like incredibly valuable and definitely big plug um, that it is an insane amount of value that you can get essentially for free uh, when you're like stuck um, yeah with these questions and need somebody to talk to or, or make progress on these things like it definitely made a really big difference for me yeah I will say as well from my own um, memory so I spoke to I think a volunteer who was who was helping do these kind of career talks but wasn't working for ADK but we did go through all the ADK material I got so much out of it I was just kind of thinking then when Luca was speaking what what did I get out of it most and I feel like so the thing you mentioned Habiba that there's just a lot of value from feeling like someone kind of actually just cares about what you end up doing and like is willing to, you know, put in time to like actually help you. That just felt really cool. Kind of kind of like embarrassing, like, oh my God, someone's actually putting in their own time to like help me and there's no strings attached, right? They just care about helping people get cool high impact careers. But also there were like much simpler benefits. So like I'm doing pretty much everything I'm doing now. I'm pretty sure I would have had no idea existed before those conversations. So just like learning that certain routes exist, really important because um, almost certainly some of the coolest routes that people can follow will not be the kinds of things that they'll hear about from, for instance, their parents um, or their teachers, often just like a 10 second Google. But honestly, maybe the best part of doing <laughs> the career chats for me was like, just because it was the first time I'd sat down to think seriously about what I want to do beyond like a two month time frame, like in my life. <laughs> um, and there's just some value from like carving out the space, like a structured space to just sit down and do that planning exercise. And it goes, I think I mentioned it before, right? This is just like unreasonable effectiveness <laughs> to setting a timer and like doing this thing and getting someone to help you with it. So um, yeah. Also found it extremely valuable and possibly is a reason I'm doing what I'm doing now.
Mm. Maybe turning the maybe turning the the tables and just asking, what is it like uh, on the other end, like being a, a career advisor and such? Like, how is it um, for you going through this process or guiding people uh, through this process? Yeah, it's a really nice job to have because I get to talk to uh, altruistic, talented people who really care about helping others and just get to try and help them with their careers and are able to uh, and hopefully I'm able to help them by being able to sort of you know like say useful things to them and like connect them up with other people so it's a it's a really nice job to have um in that it's yeah it's both like it's both like uh fun and nice being able to like talk to people and also just like um yeah I really feel good about the uh the impact that I'm having and being able to help people to get into even more high impact roles it's great the team is lovely as well um so it's like a really nice (laughs) kind of team to work with uh, 8,000 hours one thing I'm interested in is just the numbers here so can you say how many calls ADK is managing to do per year these days? And also, are there any updates on whether you plan to scale up the operation? Yes. So we are absolutely in the phase of wanting to um, very much increase the amount of calls that we're doing, increase the size of the one-on-one team and increase the number of calls that we're able to do. Um, so last year, we did over 830 uh, calls. Um which is which was like a record-breaking year for us. That was the most calls that we've done in a year in the whole kind of ten years that um, Eight Thousand Hours has been around and doing this kind of thing. Um, but we're planning to beat that even more this year and aiming for something like over a thousand two hundred calls um, this year. Uh, we also part the part of the reason why we're able to do that is that we hired a couple of new advisors to the team, Alex Lawson and Matt Reardon, last year who started, um, and we're also hoping to to hire even more people this year. So very much uh, really excited about helping more and more people, um, and uh, yeah, excited to scale up what we're doing. Yeah, just quickly, out of curiosity, are you like hiring at the moment, or is there any positions that that people who might you know have heard how cool it is to be a career advisor uh, like want to apply apply this for themselves? Yes, we are absolutely hiring people right now. So there is a job description that we have on our website and an application form. If people are interested, do check that out and put in a, an application. Um, we'd love to hear from people, even if you're like a little bit uncertain about whether this is for you or not. Um, there's very few people who've done a careers advising role precisely like this before. Like I did consulting and operations before and someone else on the team did a, a, was a teacher. Um, so if this seems like the kind of thing that you might be interested in, then definitely do check it out. And are you able to give some kind of maybe anonymized um, example of a career change that you think there's a good chance either you or someone on the advising team are actually responsible for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the earliest calls that I did um, was with someone who was doing a PhD on AI regulation um, and had come across a bit of uh, the discussions around Nick Bostrom's work and superintelligence, um, but was interested in this area a bit more. And so we were able to connect him up with some other folks interested in this um, who were in the process of setting up the Legal Priorities Project. Um, which is now a fully-fledged organization with a uh, research um, agenda uh, and like a fellowship scheme. Um, the person that we introduced to them uh, yeah, was a fundamental part of like spinning that up and making that happen. And then we also, uh, through kind of staying in touch over the years, have um, helped them out with their career. And they're now sort of been doing like a, a policy internship at DeepMind. Um, and this was one of the cases of, yeah, just doing a lot of um, being able to do these kind of introductions and like link people up with other people who are thinking about similar things was really helpful in um, in their career. Changing gears a bit, um, I would be super keen to maybe hear a bit more like specific career advice that like some uh, like listeners might might be wanting. So I maybe propose that we could do like kind of a, a quick fire round uh, where I will like just propose uh, like some some category of somebody who might be like struggling with uh, their career at the moment, and you can tell me any like hot takes you have or anything that they might uh, keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the first of which is um, 
kind of considering uh, students. So this might be uh, people who have just finished university and or just now thinking about like what is the first job that they want to be doing like um, out, out of education. Uh, yeah, what should they be thinking about? What is there anything like specific you want to advise there? Yes. So I think uh, the general focus being on exploring paths that seem like they could be really high value, um, but keeping an eye out for like exceptional opportunities for impact. I think some specific things that come to mind are could be a really good time to be doing community building in universities. Um, and there's a big push that the Center for Effective Altruism has been doing recently around having campus specialists in universities. Just seems like a uh, the, a key time that people get involved in these ideas. And so if you're able to um, run a really good university group, that could be just like an incredibly high impact thing to do. Um, beyond that, potentially uh, doing like um, junior operations roles, even being like a personal assistant or something like that for people who are doing in, uh, really incredibly important work um, could be a great thing to be doing early on. You often have like a bit of leeway maybe to do something like a little unusual or a little different before um, settling down into like a more formal um like uh, career, particularly if you go back to doing like a master's or something like that, um, you have a bit of a grace period before then to do something like particularly, um, particularly exciting. Awesome. And maybe thinking um, like even before that, so like imagining high schoolers or people who are possibly mm. just thinking about applying to university and just even choosing like what they want to study. Uh, yeah. What are like the, the big questions that, that uh, they should be be thinking about? Yeah, tricky. I think at this really that early on when you're thinking about um, your major, I would try not to um, try not to overthink the the thing that you're going to be um, doing later on in your career or the thing that you think is like definitely the most impactful uh, at this stage. There's some maybe you might want to pay attention to some like um, are probably more likely useful to pay attention to things that you think you're going to really enjoy and be really good at um, at university and going to get really good grades because those are going to be um, those are going to stick with you and like hopefully be just useful credentials for later on. Um, I think bearing in mind that also, um, yeah, you could be doing a bunch of other stuff that's really useful even at university that isn't just the studying that you're doing for your course. So also paying attention to doing like volunteering or like student organizing um, or traveling or learning other things outside of your course. Um, all these kinds of things can be just like just as valuable um, as the actual formal studying that you're doing as well. So yeah, paying attention to a, a rounded um, set of uh, skills and exploration that you're doing early on, as well as kind of yeah testing things that might be useful for your career, um, like trying out different internships and things. Fab. And then last one from me is, are there any like specific like mentoring or, or like other resources for uh, like women, non-binary or, or trans people? Yeah, so I'm on the board of uh, Magnify Mentoring, which formerly used to be called Wambam. Um, but Magnify Mentoring is a mentorship network for people who are interested in um, effective altruism and interested in doing good, like I think particularly through their careers. They have a uh, somewhat of a specific focus on people from slightly more underrepresented groups and like historically had more of a focus on um, women and non-binary people and trans people of all genders. They now are open to, or at least piloting being open to people of, um, yeah, of, of, of all different backgrounds, um, but re retain some of that kind of like some of the special focus on um, people from um, disadvantaged backgrounds or underrepresented backgrounds. So right at the start of the interview, you mentioned that one of the questions people might be interested in asking themselves was, something about what they um, value most or what they think matters most. Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious just to hear your your personal answer on that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do have uh, quite a mix of different things that go into this. But um, I think it is it's true to say that I think I have, um, yeah, somewhat kind of pluralistic type, a lot of like kind of pluralist instincts. I think I'm not the kind of person who 
uh, is very signed up to a specific view of, um, you know, maybe that like only like only consequences matter and only only welfare, increasing welfare matters. I think that I have always been very pulled by um, considerations of of justice or and also of, of being a good person, I think. And so I have like a mix of these different things going on. I think what drew me to effective altruism in the early days um, was particularly this sense of uh, being born into a, a really incredible amount of privilege, um, being from a like a middle class family in the UK, um, and just having so many advantages and feeling a sense of uh, that that seems like that seems like way more than I need, <laughs> like really unfair that there are lots of other people in the world that don't have those access to those opportunities that I do. And so I think um, in the early days when Giving What We Can had a sort of more global health focused pledge, that really spoke to that sort of um, that sense of kind of wanting to give back or wanting to help others who were um, to, who were potentially less fortunate than I was. Cool. That's interesting. And um, I think I can definitely sympathize with a lot of those motivations. And I'm sure lots of people can as well. Which is not to say that you, presumably you're saying that everyone should feel these things, but there are lots of motivations for the same kind of work. But of course, a lot of the problem areas that 80,000 Hours um, thinks might be unusually important or most important really revolve around this kind of long-termist perspective where you're thinking about influencing how things go maybe over very long timescales. Um, yeah, and I'm curious whether you have thoughts about if you have this kind of, um, these different motivations for doing high impact work in the first place how might you frame this kind of long-termist work in terms of justice or fairness as well as just you know the best consequences yeah um yeah i'm really interested in this because um i think the uh wanting to work on things that reduce the chance of a global catastrophe seems like a very sensible and good thing to do from a lot of different <laughs> perspectives. And I find that very reassuring. I think it is not a, a very unusual and un, um, strange niche moral position that might lead you there. I think it actually very much speaks to um, a bunch of different instincts, including some that might be from a more sort of justice-focused uh, framework. Um, so I don't want to claim that these are uh, decisive arguments or um, that I've like fully represented all the arguments that there could be in this uh, space. But I do want to um, like give a bit more space for some of the arguments that speak to some of these justice-focused instincts um, because I think they're I think they're like very relevant, and I'm excited to see more uh, a widening of the discussion in this space. The one thing that uh, is like pretty straightforward is that like if you're very much still within the consequentialist framework um then whatever you value uh there's there's very possibly more of it a lot more of it in the future and this this just isn't just a utilitarian thing this is like if you care about people living happy lives and their like welfare um it's very plausible that, that most of the people that you can affect are going to be in in the future um but also if you just care about having like discovering more um inventions or like knowledge or beauty or things like that a lot of that is um, going to be in the future as well. So uh, it's like kind of straightforwardly, this is, you know, we should not be thinking about um, like safeguarding the future of humanity as just tied to like utilitarianism. It's uh, it's actually like uh, for many people with many different value um, frameworks, this seems like an important thing to, to be doing. Cool. So sounds right that um, you certainly don't need to have a very narrow conception of what's valuable in mm -hmm. order to buy into the kind of long-termist thing. So yeah, maybe there's another framing that you could speak to, which is um, you might especially care about representing uh, underrepresented groups. And um, maybe there's some motivation for certain kind of long-termist work in terms of that idea of 
figuring out which kind of groups are least represented right now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, so this is something that speaks to a slightly different uh, type of um, moral instinct or moral value that we might have. Because if you're coming from this kind of like justice view of wanting to like represent groups, um, it doesn't quite work to sort of say there's going to be more justice in the future because the future is bigger because that's not that's not exactly right. like what yeah. the instinct is getting to um it seems like the instinct is a bit more about um actually it's really important for us to um to to be uh paying attention to the interests of groups that otherwise wouldn't be um wouldn't be represented and like making sure that we we act towards them uh, maybe with fairness or something like that um and you know there's this long tradition of kind of civil rights and women's rights and uh lgbt rights as well and those seem like important kind of moral um moral progress that uh hopefully we've made uh, bit by bit globally um but you might think that in fact uh there are the interests of actually like billions or trillions of people um who are future generations um where the, the how their lives go, and in fact, whether they get to live at all, really hangs in the balance based on what we do right now as the only generation that's alive right now. Um, and it does seem like at the moment, we barely take into consideration the effect that we would have on these people's lives. Um, it doesn't come up very much in uh, conversation when we're thinking about politics, um, uh, like when we're thinking about yeah any any kind of areas of lives um, in in business or in, even in even in barely in nonprofits. Do we really pay attention to the effects that we might be having on um, these future people? Um, and that at some point this starts to seem like quite extraordinarily selfish that we are maybe only prioritizing our own parochial kind of um, interests and completely failing to take into consideration um, what might what the effects might be on these people in the future. So like a very like a very straightforward example of this that I think um, speaks to a lot of people is, you know, like climate change, for example. Uh, uh, we're the ones who are creating all of this, all the problem. We're the ones who are polluting. And it's very plausibly like not uh, not even our children, but maybe our grandchildren, maybe our grandchildren's grandchildren who are going to still be living with the consequences of what we do. And we barely take that into consideration. Yeah, like one thing I definitely want to like um, add on here as well is that I do think you're seeing some of these discussions, uh, like especially around like legal frameworks or like the interview I'm kind of thinking of here is like with the, the Legal Priorities Institute, where just because you're dealing with law, like it is by nature kind of a, a discussion that's like very focused around like um, rights and justice and uh, outside of the normal like consequentialist spreadsheet uh, EV type of calculations that's like maybe more associated um, with with effective altruism. And yeah, like I think I would love to see definitely like more uh, like like justice, uh, like um, flavored, like long-term approaches or like kind of having space there to, to flesh these ideas out as well. But that seems like one one place to maybe start uh, like having that conversation or um, yeah, thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that the concept of rights and of human rights is like, maybe you might point to this as an example of uh, a success of kind of like moral philosophy or political philosophy, that this idea broke out of um, academia into the mainstream and actually has become a, like a very important part of the way that we internationally think about uh, what we ought to be doing. Um, and just seems like a very plausible way that we should be thinking about um, future generations as well. Um, there's actually just uh, recently, there's been uh, a private members bill by Lord Bird in the UK, which I believe has just been passed in the House of Lords. Into the Lords, yeah. Yeah, the story of human rights is such a great thing to mention. You know, like a hundred years ago, the kind of idea of some kind of very general sense in which all humans have the same rights was like much more foreign, much more alien. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Cool. So I can try to say what's running through my head hearing you say all this. Um, and 
I take it you're saying something like, look, if you especially care about uh, protecting the rights of future generations, then it does seem pretty obviously good to try to make sure that future generations don't have like really terrible lives. But there's another question which seems much trickier to me to think about, which is whether, in some sense, future generations have something like a right to exist or a claim to exist, and equivalently, whether in some sense you're depriving people of that right if they don't exist. Um, now, since a lot of you know, long-termist-inspired work revolves around trying to reduce the chance that some catastrophe means that people don't get to exist, then yeah, I'm curious how you think about how kind of rights and justice framing slot into uh, the importance of reducing existential risks. Um, yeah, that is a great question, but I'm not going to be able to do justice <laughs> to uh, the the political philosophy of thinking about rights in this kind of context. I think this is going to be like tricky, and I wish I'm sure there's like other people who've thought about this a bit more. Um, I think I maybe want to make the sort of weaker claim that at least it speaks to the motivations for at least some people that. Um, uh, uh, even if we're not using kind of rights in a very like technical, um, like legalistic or um, term, uh, that maybe it speaks to that at least their interests are interests that um, in some ways we nowadays should be paying attention to, um, these the future people's interests. Um, and I think that goes through the strongest if you're thinking about um, their, like how their lives go, conditional on them, on them having lives at all. Um, so it feels very like it, this bites pretty hard when you're thinking about the possibility of us creating like dystopian scenarios for future generations right. and like um, things like uh, runaway climate change or um, totalitarian lock-in or something like that. And there, I think the instinct at least feels pretty strong that um, future people's interests and you know how their lives go seems to be the kind of thing that we ought to pay attention to. I think people maybe have different instincts about. Uh, whether it really pulls on your on you your moral intuitions um that these like future people might or might not get a chance to exist at all and so here we're thinking more about like extinction events and i think i do know some people who have very strong kind of total total utilitarian kind of instincts um and also take the view that um, in a specific population ethics position that it would be worse for a person to not exist than to exist. And I think for those people, I think it really does feel very strongly um, for them that it would be this immense tragedy if we didn't take into consideration uh, these future people and they didn't get a chance to actually even live their lives, um, live lives. Um, I think some people maybe don't feel that quite as strongly and maybe I put myself a little bit in that camp that I think the world would be better if they uh, got a chance to live, but I'm not sure if it would be as bad for them. I know it gets into the weeds a little bit with a kind of technical population ethics question. Yeah, we are not going to resolve those questions in this interview, but um, yeah. there is still one to think about. I do want to flag that I, I'm not a philosopher by trade. Um, and I think maybe I would point people to, for example, uh, Will McCaskill's book, um, where he'll be talking about this, I think, a bit more. Um, his book that's going to be coming out quite soon, What We Owe to the Future. Um, I think I just wanted to uh, cover this off, at least because it speaks to um, potentially to, to some people's instincts that um, people might have in this space. I think it's worth it's worth noting. It seems really worthwhile to me to think carefully about these frameworks as well, because I imagine there are some people who you know, approach these topics for the first time, see that the case is often framed in terms that they're less familiar with, you know, in terms of these kind of consequentialist or even utilitarian flavoured terms. And then they kind of bounce really quickly because it's like, whoa, that's not that's not my 
my scene, right? I, I um, kind of prioritize or care much more about these different things. Yeah, maybe another question is, um, there are some other framings of why you might care about, for instance, reducing existential risks and improving the long-term future in Toby Ord's book, The Precipice, um, that don't, don't just reference, you know, um, improving the expected value of the future, but also reference things like our duties um, generated by the past. <laughs> yeah, I basically, I, I just, I'm really glad that uh, Toby included a bunch of these other arguments in the precipice as well. Um, I think I really appreciate the the care that he took to um, to present arguments that seem robust, but also speak to uh, different things, not just the size of the future, but also maybe duties to past generations, or maybe sort of things around um, uh, the kind of civilization that we want to be, or potentially are. Um, unique place in the universe. Um, so specifically, one of the sections is around like the responsibilities that we might have arising from the past. In particular, um, maybe um, if your view is that uh, we've committed as a species, we've committed some like terrible, grave injustices, maybe we have a duty to... Um, to, to do something about that, um, to atone for those past injustices um, and to, to make amends potentially even. If that is in fact your view, you might think that it is a prerequisite of us being able to do that for us to at least continue to exist as a civilization right, and totally. a species. Um, and so, so safeguarding the future of humanity seems important for us to be able to um, to get to a position where we can uh, we can uh, achieve the kinds of things that we, we actually ought to achieve uh, in, from a justice perspective. Yeah, cool. I really like that. One of the analogies I really like from that book is thinking about humanity as something like a kind of a person who is presumably quite early on in their life. And maybe they've done some things already which they really have come to regret. I can imagine like a teenager, right? There's a bunch of stuff, like stupid stuff when they're a bit younger. They get just about old enough to realize the kind of gravity of what they've done. And you can ask what would be best for them to do. It does feel like just giving up is the wrong answer. And even though in some sense you can't reverse certain kinds of harms, maybe the best thing to do is really just to get your act together and do as much good going forward as you can um, in order to, in some sense, kind of atone for, for what you've done. So, yeah, if the analogy carries over, then that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and there are a couple of points where I think Toby takes this perspective of thinking about humanity as a whole and like maybe doing an analogy of humanity as a whole or humanity as a species as if, it, you know, in... Uh, as analogous to a person and what would a person do in that situation. And I think those those kinds of um, perspectives also seem to speak to um, somewhat similar instincts. Like I think if the doing the expected value calculations on the size of the future doesn't really like, doesn't float your boat, doesn't really get to what you care about, then maybe some of these like taking the perspective of humanity as a whole and getting a sense of, you know, what kind of civilization do we want to be? Um, like maybe we want to be more prudent where we are right now. Maybe we want to be wiser. Maybe we, um, maybe it seems better for us to uh, to be like modeling um, things like passing, you know, passing on the baton of the generations. All well, these kinds of like framings that I think Toby um, has in the precipice, um, like plausibly speak more to uh, to people who have. Um, yeah, who are inclined to sort of, you know, feel like it's really like actually intrinsically good for, for humanity to be like doing the right thing. Um, and and maybe speaks to some of these like justice instincts sometimes as well. And and maybe to to stay on like um like wonky philosophy uh for for a bit longer, like um it could also just be that there are like lots of like seemingly plausible arguments and you're kind of like unsure about like which worldviews or which like moral philosophy uh philosophical arguments like hold or are true and like which ones aren't uh right and then this takes you like to the whole like moral uncertainty or like potentially like like worldview diversification 
um, mm-hmm. approach where things that um, you mentioned before, things that seem like robustly good to like lots of these arguments, um, mm-hmm. like maybe are just like more indicative that it actually just is good. Uh, um, and just exploring or like fleshing out more of these like types of arguments is just useful to make sure if we're like really confident about this thing rather than relying on like one crazy uh, EV calculation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think particularly you might think that if you're a bit like me and you like have a lot of these kind of consequentialist instincts um, and also have some other instincts as well, you might think that it seems important for us to do the thing that will lead to the best consequences, but we want to keep some pretty strong check on making sure that we don't some, might do, don't do something that is like, uh, that seems like really bad. Like uh, don't violate these side constraints, like pay attention to some of these like deontological constraints. Um, and it's, it's possible that you... You might think that you put some credence in um, these, like justice, uh, the justice focus of like maybe helping people now or uh, something like that, being like quite strong. Um, and like maybe you might make the argument that uh, those those constraints are so strong that they should like take priority or something. But if you bear in mind this moral uncertainty, um, you should pay attention to the fact that um, if the welfare of these future people or other things that are happening in the future matters a lot, the stakes could be extremely high. And so you want to be maybe quite cautious about dismissing that view entirely, um, especially um, as you're weighing up against some of these other like deontological side constraints or like other potential views that might push you in a different direction. Mm. Yeah, like one way that I kind of like think about this, and I don't know if this is like either like completely flawed or like completely obvious, uh, but I'm like going to go ahead and say it. It's like, like I often like relate it to this like post around, uh, I think from GiveWell around like uh, cluster thinking versus like sequence thinking, um, which is like um, a very like consequentialist like post, right? Which is like, it's just trying to teach you how to do like good back of the envelope calculations or good like expected value calculations. But the point is that even if you just have a purely consequentialist like framework, it's just really hard to answer certain things. And often it's like more indicative that the right thing has like many kind of like independent arguments mm-hmm. at that point like in favor of it rather than uh like one really elaborate or like one really detailed argument that might just like be you know one parameter can be wrong and then the whole thing kind of like um falls apart and that is like a very like consequentialist uh kind of approach just because it's about like um doing maths um or like like botex or, or what can have you but i think that for me kind of is like how i see like a lot of like the discussion around like moral uncertainty or the importance of like engaging with these like different views and and stuff is because maybe it is like a way to check that you haven't missed anything or like maybe it's a way to like make you more confident in this world where you have this moral uncertainty um, or what have you. But I think it's interesting that like even from a consequentialist point, um, you can argue that that this is like the the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for a more thorough examination of moral uncertainty from someone who really knows their stuff, maybe I'd point you in the direction of like an interview with um, Hilary Graves. So we have one on our 80,000 Hours podcast. Um, but I think in general, I guess from like from my perspective, I think, um, you know, one of the things that seemed really good about working on global health and poverty was that like, basically everyone agrees that this is a really important thing to do. Like, um, you don't have to be a consequentialist to think that we should be helping other people more nowadays. Um, and I think I, yeah, like I said early on, I think I do feel like I get a bunch of, um, it, it seems better to me that there are like other sensible reasons why we might find that safeguarding the future of humanity is actually a really important thing to do that aren't just uh, one particular theory says it's the most important thing to do. Yeah, cool. So, I guess I'm curious how you think people should approach, you know, weighing between kind of good and bad motivations or like pure and impure motivations for taking certain high impact jobs. And in particular, do you see places where people kind of go wrong in thinking about these things? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting question. Okay, so I think in replying to this, like, the main bit of me that wants to reply is the, like, consequentialist Habiba, um, (laughs) who basically is just like, I kind of really want to make sure that these, like, global problems are solved. Um, And so as long as people are uh, really dedicated to doing the thing that is actually going to be helpful, don't really care what's going on inside their minds. Um, If they're going to, like, they're going to, like, help other people, if they're going to save people's lives, they're going to eliminate factory farming, they're going to, like, try and work on AI safety, all to the good. Um, And actually, it would be helpful if people, um, it it seems, like, extra helpful if um, people aren't... um, uh, unduly worried about uh, being self-critical about what their own motivations are here. Um, so I think that's one point. I think I would um, suggest that um, I think it is Im- it is like somewhat important that um, uh, people are like pointing at or aiming to get to the thing that seems really valuable. Um, so even if they're moment by moment or like day by day kind of motivations are like more to do with how much they enjoy their job or like wanting to impress their boss or whatever it is. Um, If over the course of their career, they are like in a cool moment when they think about what they want to do, are interested in having more impact or doing more good with their career. That seems important because that's going to be your kind of North Star or your guiding light that sort of uh, like guides that where you go with your career and if people don't have that and are like mostly um, motivated by something like I want to have like a fun job or something it seems like even if they start off in a place that's doing something pretty good um it seems like unlikely they're going to stick at carrying on doing the thing that's the most impactful for um every step of their career for the next kind of few decades or something so I think I do care about um people wanting to um, to go for the thing that actually is um, particularly is like impactful, at least in some sense. Um, yeah. So I think those are my my two responses. Yeah, that seems totally fair. Like, I think it's just right to say that it's really hard sometimes to just maintain, um, you know, the kind of ultimate pure um, uh, motivation day to day. So you want to separate out, you know, the kind of proximal day to day motivations from the kind of ultimate guiding motivations. Where it's totally fine day to day to forget that you're working on these problems for this like very profound, important reason and just focus on what works in front of you and, you know, the kind of particular problems you're you're trying to figure out. Um, that seems right to me. Cool. So maybe uh, we can ask a last set of questions about being ambitious with your career if you want to uh, aim at having an impact. Um, and on that topic... It looks like things have kind of changed recently, where suddenly there seems to be like much stronger reasons for really thinking big about the kinds of ambitious projects and goals that you can um, get involved with if you care about doing good, having an impact. And so first question is, why is that? What's changed? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think even taking like a really big picture view of uh, what people have done in the effective altruism community over the last like 10 years or so, uh, I think it just it just seems like people have achieved a ton of stuff. Um, we've uh, over the last ten years, you know, there's like open philanthropy has committed to be spending like billions of dollars on uh, using the principles of effective altruism to do the most good in the world. Um, more recently, we've had the example of Sam Bankman-Fried, um, who has also made billions doing um, an earning to give strategy in crypto. 
And then it's also the case that uh, it seems like people have had like extraordinary successes in other uh, spheres as well. So we've had, you know, um, Toby Ord, the author of The Precipice, being quoted by Boris Johnson um, at the UN and also, you know, the UN uh, Secretary General being kind of interested in like the ideas of existential risk. Um, and so there's been a bunch of progress, I think, across a lot of dimensions. And it seems like we should now maybe as a community take a bit of a, again, a bit of an update from that. Uh, it maybe seems like a small group of um, highly dedicated people can in fact change the world if they put their minds to it. Um, and so possibly that should give people a bit of an update that, um, hey, if you uh, really put your mind to earning to give, maybe it is possible that you can become a billionaire. <laughs> or um, if you want to change politics um, or change policy, like it is possible maybe for you to uh, to like aim high and uh, maybe go and become an elected official or go work in number 10 or in the White House or something like that. Um, uh, so I think that there's like, yeah, there's this general vibe of um, actually... Uh, possibly we can achieve m more uh, than you might have otherwise expected. And like maybe people should like take that on board on an individual level when they're doing some career planning. Yeah, I'm curious if you can maybe like um, talk a bit more about like what that concretely means for people planning their careers or like thinking about their careers and such. Is this like basically, uh, um, sh or should we take this as like people should take more risks, um, you know, with, with their career because in expectation um, it will lead to like more good um, because some of these like standout cases um, are like just so important or like so influential um, that um, this seems to be like what people should be uh, aiming to do with their careers um, or is it a case for like um, I guess like working harder or just like dedicating a lot more effort to their careers like as a whole because you know they just seem to have like really high returns to like putting effort on these like yeah like um, which of these or like what, what other like um, like lessons might, might there be here? Yeah, good question. Um, so I think one of the lessons that you might have is, you know, we talked a bit earlier about how you might go about career planning, and maybe you make up a long list of different potential career paths that you could follow. Um, there's one case that you might take, one sort of, one approach that you might take, uh, if you wanted to really embody this kind of ambitious um, approach, is to think about specifically focusing on the upside option for each of these different paths. So just thinking about the what does the success story look like? What does it look like in the in the worlds where things go incredibly well? Um, and actually pay quite a lot of attention to that specific scenario when you're kind of ranking the different things that you could do and picking which one you want to go in kind of all in on at first. And that might mean uh, being pretty open to taking some more like um, more uncertain options, more higher risks, uh, more go for things that maybe there's like a slightly smaller chance that it pans out. But if it pans out, it could be it could be really, really good. Yeah, cool. I guess one framing that sounds very similar that I really like is that if you're thinking about what's just best for you personally, then um, how good things can go kind of levels off quite quickly. So if you mm -hmm. make like $10 billion, that's certainly not 10,000 times better than making a million dollars. It's mm -hmm. maybe like a few times better for <laughs> you. But it is basically 10,000 times better if you want to spend the money that you earn on doing good in the world. So there's much more upside when you're thinking altruistically than when you're thinking from a kind of personal perspective. And so it requires a bit of a shift of, of mindset to really see that the upside is very, very high. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that in your personal life, a real drive to make as much money as possible just like doesn't have, it's like not a very sensible strategy because like you say, you just face these like pretty strong diminishing returns. And so it's just like incredibly sensible for people to not have this like drive to be as 
as ambitious as they possibly can for their own personal goals. Like there's just like a lot of good reasons why you might not want to make a lot of gambles with things on your personal life. But if you are taking this kind of impartial um, impact focused perspective, it actually just seems like uh, being open to taking higher risks just might well be a much better idea. Yeah, cool. And I guess another useful framing is to think of yourself as part of this bigger community or portfolio of different efforts where, you know, in some sense, it's it's quite likely that a lot of them um, won't pan out. But if there's enough people, then some of them will. So it makes sense for the overall strategy for everyone to be like aiming at these really cool things rather than for everyone to kind of be be risk averse and like doing the same thing individually. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even better if you even if you are able to put yourself in a position where you're trying like a somewhat risky thing, but if it doesn't pan out, you don't ruin your life. You land on yes, your feet totally. and you have useful skills and you're able to try another thing again. And if that's the kind of position that people can put themselves in, then yeah, definitely as a community, it seems like we'll just do a lot better if people like feel able to take a few more, take a punt on something that um, could be really amazing. Yeah, I'm really like curious on what is like maybe like a fuzzy question, but like around like how the EA community and so can like support, I guess, like this more risk taking and like also taking seriously that like failure can be like really painful, um, you know, both in like a financial way, um, but like also just like in an emotional way of like, um, you know, that like presumably being really hard. And when we're talking about these like really risky or these like really like big like one shot events, like we should, you know, expect um, that like most things will end in failure and we should like be looking to like maybe... Um, either like make people like less scared or like, like less worried about this in the beginning but then also like thinking about like what we can do to like help people like have another go at things or to help um people like be um yeah like more more aware that like failing is like also a right because if you don't try hard enough that failure is an option and then you also don't have like that um that big like potential like upside either mm-hmm and yeah, it's it's a very like unclear like what to actually do about that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I don't have any great ideas on this, but it does feel like it feels analogous to you know we can make a community culture where it's like socially good to you know change your mind on something based on new evidence, and in a similar way, maybe we can make a community culture where it's like socially good to have like tried the thing that seemed like it was worthwhile beforehand, even if it didn't work out afterwards. I think there's something here as well of um, that failure could have still been the right decision, like ex ante. Like I often think about this, like in terms of politics and stuff, where like if a big bear, uh, if a big bill has like failed because it fell like a couple of like uh, like votes short, then like the discrete outcome is like either you win or you lose. So like it's a failure. So the outcome is like zero. But like if it was like really close, then it probably was like the right decision to have like gone for this, as long as like the upside was like really big, or it seems that like an ex- in expectation it was like worth it. Um, even if like the outcome can often be like very extreme or like even discreet or something but I think that's like something that has definitely yeah like helped me like think about it um like like more um in like risk-taking terms or something Mm -hmm. yeah I think if the community if across the community we're doing the right thing we should expect some of our projects to not succeed um if all of our projects are succeeding we're not um doing the right thing we're not we're being like way too cautious um yeah there should definitely be um sometimes where it turns out it didn't pan out um and yeah maybe um we can try and do what we can to make the community like really supportive of people who who give things a go totally totally agree yeah i guess one important question is whether there are ways to kind of misinterpret this message about ambition so what what do we not mean when we say that um there's a really strong case for ambition now (laughs) yeah i think one thing is uh don't do don't like go uh gung-ho on projects where there's a really wide likelihood of like it could go really well or it could go really badly for the world um so we want to probably uh 
when you're thinking about options, it seems very likely that you should just be like ruling out options where if it goes wrong, it makes things a lot worse in the world. Um, maybe you want to be thinking mostly about options where the upside is really high. And then that if it doesn't fail, then uh, sorry, if it does fail, then um, uh, things are not much worse than they are right now. Yeah, yeah, that, that seems like a important like message to like really uh, iterate that like the upside can be like really big and if like the downside like is kind of capped at zero then like that often like favors like risk-taking uh, behavior mm -hmm. just because you know the highest it can go is infinity but the lowest it can go is like finite at zero but if it's like positive infinity or negative infinity then or like there's only like a small difference here or there uh, then that's like maybe not not a, a scenario to take the numbers like like literally especially if you're uncertain around those numbers um, yeah yeah yeah, and I think it can be hard to uh, find projects that only have a positive um, outcomes, I guess, especially because a lot of the things that maybe we're dealing with or thinking about are very high stakes things that um, might seem like um, might seem like um, it's hard to know exactly what's the right, the best way for things to develop over the next uh, few decades. Or um, I'm thinking particularly about some of these like catastrophic risks or something. Um, but uh, if you can find the things that seem like robustly good to do, uh, then trying to like ambitiously pursue those goals seems good. Um, and there are there are ideas of, of this, and I think um, there's particularly an appetite right now in the effective altruism community to um, support people trying to uh, do those kinds of ambitious projects focused on the robustly good things. So I can imagine hearing all this stuff about being ambitious for the first time and thinking that it requires quite a big mindset shift from how I was thinking about having an impact with my career beforehand. And that might be quite difficult for me to like really kind of switch into, into that mode of thinking. So I guess, you know, what do you think are the like psychological blockers to thinking this way? And how do you think it might be uh, useful to like change the way you think along these lines? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I super sympathize with this maybe being an off-putting message. I think it like can seem really scary. It can seem like a lot of pressure. It can seem like taking yourself, like having to take yourself like really seriously and what you can achieve with your career really seriously, which some people might find aversive. It might even just feel like kind of icky because um, ambition um, maybe seems like uh, the kind of thing that's associated with people wanting to pursue like personal goals and like achieve wealth and fame and like doesn't really like vibe with you. And, um, and so there's like a bunch of different reasons that I, I think I very strongly sympathize with like people not feeling like they naturally would want to inhabit this space. I mean, to be clear, if people do find this just like straightforwardly easy to do, then great. Um, but if if people are, are struggling with this a bit, and I think there's maybe like some different kind of psychological like framings that people might have that um, that could help with um, trying to like get something that you feel fully on board with that you're going to be able to um, yeah yeah really buy into for thinking about your own career planning. And so maybe one cluster of things could be um, trying to put the the moral framing back into the ambition message. Um, so at the moment, um, you know, be ambitious with your career is is very much focusing on the instrumental goal of um, ambition. But maybe you want to bring back in the idea of like helping as many people as possible or um, being as like maximally giving as you possibly can. Um, and maybe that sort of uh, sits better with people. An alternate thing you can do is actually just like focus in on the career goal element of it. And maybe people might find it motivating to like try and become like world class at a particular skill or uh, in a different way. Maybe people might like having a specific kind of end goal, like, you know, go work in number 10 or something like that. And like different things might work for different people. Um, and then lastly, maybe there's like a class of different like 
yeah, like ways you can hack your um, animal brain um, that you kind of find like useful psychological framings. Um, maybe this kind of scarcity mindset of like, I've got to use my 80,000 hours um, as best as I can could be like very giving you a bunch of uh, driving motivation. Maybe just thinking about your own legacy and reputation and kind of looking back over your life at the end of uh, at the end of your life and like wanting to have uh, done yourself proud um, could also be like uh, potentially uh, motivating. And so I think I just want to encourage people to um, if you think that this is important and if you buy the case that we, you should be ambitious with your career, then just feel like full, fully empowered um, to like hear that message, however it actually resonates with you. Um, and if one person is is kind of telling you the message um, in a certain way and that's like really off-putting, then it doesn't have to be the right way for you. Um, you can, there are like plenty of other ways that you can um, make this work for yourself. Fantastic. Let's uh, move on to our final questions. So maybe one uh, like immediate question uh, that some listeners might have is suppose that they have a, a spare hour or two and don't fancy listening to another podcast episode. Um, <laughs> what do you suggest? What do you suggest they do? Uh, like what, what steps can they take like here and now uh, to help them with their career or to like help them about anything else we've talked about? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, shocker. I can't believe anyone wouldn't be up for another couple of hours <laughs> podcast at this point. <laughs> um, maybe one thing might be to just like check out the 80,000 Hours website. I think maybe many of your listeners are familiar with it already, but um, if not, um, 8000hours.org and then click on start here. And that's a kind of article that takes you through a bunch of our key thinking about how you might want to orient towards thinking about your career um, and trying to have the most impact that you can with it. Um, and after maybe if, if, uh, instead, you're actually just very familiar with 80,000 hours um, and are really on board with all of this project, but specifically want to work out uh, what to do with your career right now. Um, you can try and do the thin thing of set a timer and um, see if you can try writing down some of your thoughts on a couple of the first questions. Um, if you want to check out our career planning process, that can that guides you through some of those um, steps on the 80,000 hours website. Um, or you could jump straight to applying for um, 80,000 hours uh, careers advising uh, to speak with the team. Uh, so if you want to do that, then um, we have a special link for Hear This Idea listeners, um, HTI. So 8000hours.org forward slash HTI, just to, to go there to our page uh, <laughs> to apply to speak with the team. I think that's the, the first referral link uh, we've ever had. So that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cool. And then I guess if people have like more time available, uh, one of the questions we love asking is like, what are three books, articles, films, or like other bits of media that you recommend listeners um, check out if they want to find out more about what we've talked about uh, in this in this episode? Fab, um, so if people are interested in some of the stuff that we talked about in terms of um, thinking about future generations and how disenfranchised they might be, uh, I'd recommend a lecture that Will McCaskill did, What We Owe the Future, which is on YouTube, um, which I think he originally did for Harvard students. And it's a good way of, it sort of sets out um, his current thinking on this, which uh, leans heavily on this kind of framing of um, representation um, and is a good sneak peek of what I think is going to be in the book um, that when it comes out. And then if people are interested in kind of career planning, um, on 8,000 Hours, we have a career planning course that's eight weeks long, but there is a summary version that can give you just the uh, the headlines. Um, that might be a really good thing to just like check out to get a sense of the, the different stages as we talked about them. If people are interested in the in digging into a bit more the case of for being ambitious with your career, if you're trying to do good, the rational case for aiming higher, and um, then they can check out our article on that by Benjamin Todd. Super. And very last question is where can people find ADK and also you online? 
<laughs> so the 8,000 hours website is 80,000hours.org. And then me, you can probably find me best on Twitter, uh, where my handle is at fresh mango lassi. That's spelled L-A-S-S-I as in the Indian drink. Yeah, it's a really good username. <laughs> Habiba Islam, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. That was Habiba Islam on planning a high-impact career, different ways to be a long-termist, and the case for altruistic ambition. If you found that conversation useful, please do share it around with friends who might also get something out of it, or just share them on that link to apply for career coaching, which we have in the show notes. Also, if you want to help the show out in general, one of the best ways to help is to leave a review or a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. As always, if you want to learn more, you can read the write-up at hearthisidea.com forward slash episodes forward slash Habiba. There you'll find links to all the links and resources that were mentioned, along with a full transcript of the conversation. And finally, if you have constructive feedback, there is a link on the website to an anonymous feedback form. There's also a star rating form on the top and bottom of uh, the write-up. And you can send suggestions, questions, and whatever else to feedback at hearthisidea.com. Thank you very much for listening. 